0: search results on platforms like Google or Amazon are much better now than they were maybe eight or ten years ago. And in part, that's because of better algorithms, more data to train machines on, but it's also because of people. Not just the users who are typing queries into Google or typing queries into Amazon, but the people who are helping to train the algorithms in an overt way through crowd-sourced human input to train machine learning models. And that's gonna be the focus of this week's episode on the AI and Industry Podcast. This week, we interview Vito Vishnopolsky, who heads business development for a firm called Clickworker. Clickworker has crowd-sourced folks who help uh, with a variety of business tasks, training machine learning models being a very important one in over a hundred countries. So people in Japan, people in North America, people in India, you name it, and a lot of their recent work has been helping search firms improve their results. We speak with Vito this week about two main topics. Number one, what are the kinds of companies that are actually demanding to improve their machine learning models and actually using crowdsourced labor to help do this? We talk about social firms, e-commerce, media, and more. And number two, how does this actually happen? what are the strategies? What are the techniques? What are the ways that data scientists build frameworks for crowdsourced workers? And then what's the kind of input that crowdsourced workers use in order to continue to train these models? It really is people that are putting a lot of the finishing touches on the refinements of search results when you find that perfect pair of pants or you find that best car dealership in your area. There are human beings in many respects helping to refine those results. And the way that that works, I think, was definitely news for me. And I think it'll be new for a lot of the folks tuned in as well. At the end of the episode, we speak with Vito a bit about the future of search. So where is voice going to play a role in machine vision? And Vito's got some interesting perspectives there in terms of the demand that they're seeing. So this was an interesting episode for me because while the machine side of search I'm somewhat familiar with through our interviews, the human side, not so much. And this was kind of fun for that reason. So without further ado, this is Vito with Click Worker here on the AI and Industry Podcast. So, Vito, where I figured we'd start is just with the fundamentals. I think people often assume that search engines are trained by just looking at all the different searches that human beings do, and then the machines come up with their own correlations and figure out what to serve next. But as you folks know well, there is actually a good deal of human effort in training systems to really be able to serve people well. Can you explain in layperson terms how that process works?
1: Sure. Well, I think that in past, Internet companies were fairly relying on keyword matching and uh, some behavioral data to power their search. As a result, the relevance of the search results were less than optimal because I think that search engines were just taking a best guess at matching the customer queries to the results, like items for sale in case of e-commerce, for instance. I think that human-driven semantic input teaches any search engine to understand people the way people understand each other, like you understand me, for example. And uh, taking the guess work out of this matching or matching the right products to the right queries and delivering the best-in-class results is something that only human can deliver. And that's the business Clickworker is into. We are working with enterprise-level clients and with startup companies that are trying to optimize their search engines. And I think that in terms of the examples that we can provide, a lot of companies in e-commerce, telecom companies that we are servicing, social networks, and media companies are using our services which is basically micro-tasking. We are providing search precision queries. We are identifying different keywords and doing relationship ranking. We are doing stuff like query precisions for listing precisions, and in that way, We are helping to train search engines to deliver better results.
0: Got it. And I actually, I'm going to take a quick step back to dive into this so that the audience can really kind of see in their mind. You mentioned a couple terms, you know, you mentioned a lot of kind of techniques that sort of relate to relevance, and I think it would make sense to dial them in. First things first, just on the high-level dynamics, I want to make sure I'm understanding this right and so are the listeners. Search engines, let's say X number of years ago, I don't know if it was 10 years ago, maybe weren't using this kind of human training. Would you say that sort of the human level addition to search relevance, I would have almost suspected maybe it was used more in the past. Are you saying maybe it was even less common in the past, that they were just trying to go off of machine data and making a best stab without really having human input? Is that how things used to work? I think so. I
1: think that search relevancy is something that a lot of companies are deploying in the last 5 years. Yeah. Well, that's that's at least my impression. I'm sure that they tried to improve the algorithms from the very beginning, but massive use of crowdsourcing is something that we are experiencing in the last I would say 5 to 3 years, something like that.
0: Got it. So maybe the availability of that much human perspective is maybe not a door that was open. Let's say, you know, when Yahoo got started, certainly they had no ability to do the kinds of things at scale that people do now. The only examples that probably our audience is familiar with of this idea of improving search relevance is to some degree, the examples that we hear about in the press are often the things around, let's say, filtering and social. So Google will have on YouTube people watching videos that might be flagged for things that could be violent and then marking and getting rid of videos that involve things that are against their terms and conditions. A machine can do a little bit. A machine can pick up on the videos that people should look at, but ultimately making the decision, do we keep it, do we not? Is the meaning malicious? Is the meaning not malicious? That has to be kind of a a human call. That's what people hear about. But what we're talking about is not necessarily censorship. We're talking about improving relevance. What are some of these techniques and what are some of the things that humans have to do continuously to keep relevance high?
1: Right. well, first of all, the examples that we're providing are still exist, and we are servicing a lot of clients that wish to flag uh, inappropriate content, which is fine. and uh, this is still done by humans, and yep. humans are training machines to identify porn or any unappropriate content or irrelevant content that should be flagged. Yep. Another thing that I was mentioning are more complicated search relevancy projects like Keywords identification. Yes. For instance, we are getting an example, a sentence uh, like Google headquartered in Mountain View unveiled the new Android phone at the Consumer Electronics Show. That's a sentence, and the task is to read the sentence and choose different sets of keywords according to the relevancy and to match this. In that way, we are doing some reverse engineering to the search engine algorithms and training the search engine algorithm to choose the right set of keywords for this specific inquiry. And sets of keywords could be different they could be ranked from zero to three according to the best matching example.
0: Huh. Um, and now, in the example of Google, what would be some of the keywords we would want to flag? So I'm thinking... We're not
1: exactly flagging them. Like This is the sentence in, okay. in this example. And yep. a string of keywords could be Googled headquartered in Mountain View or Google unveiled Android phone or Google unveiled at consumer electronics show. or Android phone unveiled at Consumer Electronics Show. So different examples that could be relevant to this specific sentence, and we should choose the right example to train the machine to choose the right set of keywords that would fit this specific news item.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So, So people will come up with permutations of a similar search that tie directly to this news item so that the machine will know, hey, when queries of this nature, and maybe there's 20 variations, maybe there's 10 variations, come up, here's something that that directly ties to. Here's really what we're pointing at here in the real world. Is is Am I on the right page?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so kind of coming up with permutations of keywords, I imagine there might also be examples where they're scoring the results they see, where maybe a searcher is going into a search box and typing in images of red Corvette or, I don't know, maybe hotels in bangkok thailand or whatever the case may be and maybe they'll go down the list of ranked items and say okay are there any of these that are just way not relevant and should not be listed as high as they are or should not be where they are and maybe score them in some way is there a layer of that as well or is it really more on the level of individual words than on looking at the results and giving feedback to them
1: no, you're absolutely right. This is something that is called query precision. For example, the query brown, wooden, and table will have the following values that need to be filled as correct or incorrect. Attribute one, material. Attribute one, value, wood. And attribute two, subject color. Or attribute two, value, brown. So for each line, the relevance columns should be filled with values 0 or 1, unless the topic is wrong, and then other columns would not be filled. But this is something that we are doing to improve the precisions of different queries. And we also have something that is called listing precision. For instance, products that the tagger should indicate as a product type, and understand which product type is correct.
0: Wow, I imagine Vito first and foremost, I mean, most of the listeners will be wholly unaware that all of these things are involved in in the back end of search. You're mentioning you know, for brown wooden end table, A lot of different custom fields, it sounds to me as if there has to be some degree of upfront orchestration of, okay, what are the kinds of terms we want to improve our relevance for and what are the specific fields and listings, right? Because it's not like your people out there in the field at Clickworker are going to be coming up with the term material. The term material has to be set up as a standard for everybody to train the system on. So I take it when you begin search relevance, you have to set out to determine what are these fields that are even definable in the first place? That seems like a pretty... Challenging high-level cognitive job for a data science team, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Definitely, those parameters are usually set by the scientists, and we are working with a lot of data scientists and various companies from startups to enterprise-level clients, and they define those parameters because this is a fairly complicated task that could be done as a distributed computing using crowdsourcing. Yep, and we usually receive those uh, query precision tasks with all the attributes and all the drop-down menus predefined we are providing crowd and that's it
0: got it so i imagine when you're working with data scientists there's some upfront thinking it sounds like you folks are obviously providing the tagging and the feedback from a crowdsourced perspective of the information i imagine their team plays a big role of what those criteria and fields are and parameters are that they want to optimize And it sounds like they probably work on different elements and different parameters at a time. There's probably an unlimited possibility space of parameters you could train your searches on. Do people at search companies of this kind, whether it's a search engine, a media site, e-commerce, do they tend to have focus areas for their crowdsourced efforts? Or is it more of a broad search across the whole possibility space and find errors kind of thing? How do people actually optimize when it comes down to it?
1: Well, I guess that there's an endless world of possibilities in search precision and search relevancy. I just mentioned four typical projects that we are involved in, like list and precision, query precision, keywords identification and relationship ranking or search precision. But truly, we have different types of companies that are involved in that and different verticals that are using that from telcos. To e-commerce, to healthcare. We are not a team of data scientists and it's a very complicated field. Yep. So we usually receive everything as a predefined project. And the only consultative sales element that we provide is working with a crowd. We have a platform and our clients are usually integrated with us or through an API or just exchanging spreadsheet with input and we are providing a spreadsheet with an output. That spreadsheet eventually is fed to the machine and in that way, they train the algorithm. All the magic that is happening behind the scenes is something that is provided, delivered, and developed by the data science team.
0: Got it. Okay. So yeah, they're defining and laying out number one, here's the parameters. But number two, here's the outputs that we're specifically looking for right now. That's just a project that you guys receive. They're sort of doing the thinking on what needs to be defined. So that's helpful. You mentioned a couple of terms here for improving search relevancy, like relationship relevancy, or the, there's a variety of terms that I know are going to be entirely new jargon for our crowd. I wondered if maybe we could use an example while we were talking, I was seeing in my mind how a company like Google could improve their results. But I know e-commerce is a big part of search. There's a ton of value in having a better search experience on a website where people go to spend money. Certainly a big emphasis for any firm of a significant size that's selling online. What are some of the training regimens, some of the exercises, some of the ongoing activities that have to happen to keep search improved for e-commerce? Are there any kind of unique use cases there?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that given the strong preference for voice as a natural interface It seems inevitable that we will use voice interfaces for search and voice search, like all searches, still about returning the right results to a query, whether it's spoken to a phone or home assistance device or a connected car. So voice search accuracy drives revenues by allowing customers to find products and services by speaking naturally the same way they would speak to a human sales clerk. So a lot of e-commerce customers are using crowd sources like Clickworker to improve search relevancy for voice recognition. And I think that in perspective, in two to three years, I would predict that even greater demand would be present for human search relevancy training as uh, voice searches are even more complex to analyze than text searches. So they usually have more attributes and e-commerce companies are The first companies that would find a lot of benefits and added value in improving voice search.
0: I'm totally with you there. And I think this is a useful kind of potentially representative example. I've only got one other question, so I'll try to wrap up this e-commerce one. But it sounds like in terms of voice, we might expect that they're sort of on the cutting edge. And similarly, there's going to have to be some degree of training to make sure that people are getting what they're looking for. My guess is, Vito, that these crowdsourced folks would do potentially one of two things. Number one, they could provide actual vocal requests for almost any product on an entire website, and they could send in those requests with a quiet room with a noisy room, with traffic in the background, with all the different permutations that a machine might need to be trained on. You could have people submit some of those initial verbal inquiries for different kinds of products. Number two, you could take verbal inquiries from customers and have crowdsourced folks potentially say, okay, what does this really mean? There's a lot of noise in the background. What are they saying? What products are they really calling out here? What are they actually looking for? And be able to maybe record that in text so that the company knows, okay, based on this pattern of sound, Maybe the machine got a little bit confused, but here's what they actually said. Which of those is sort of most relevant? Because I could see both being highly valuable in training a system.
1: Well, I think that you are absolutely right. And there are quite a few layers to train those voice searches. We are training machines to recognize people speaking with different accents we are recording different search queries in different languages. Clickworker has crowd in 140 different countries, about one-third is in Asia, one-third is in Europe, one-third is in North America. So we often record different datasets to train voice searches in different languages. And sometimes we do that in English with French-Canadian accent, in English with uh, UK accent, with Australian accent. So we have different types of projects for different types of customers, depending on their geographies. So that's First level of improving the voice searches and voice recognition technologies. The second level is something that we already discussed that is related to queries precision and keywords identification and relationship ranking.
0: And so the final sort of domain I wanted to dive into here, Vito, and I think we do have the time to do it, is what are the upcoming changes in the training of search relevance machines. At least for the near term, we can imagine that there is a pretty important role for humans and for humans working with the data to make these systems work. I imagine that might evolve though. Humans may do different things in the training of search systems in e-commerce or for media or search engines, let's say three years from now, then they do today? Voice seems like one inevitable change. There's going to be a lot more demand for training systems for voice. What are some other shifts in the next three years, Vito, for what humans will do and what machines will do to keep search systems relevant?
1: (laughs) That's one of the toughest questions I would say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I have a kid
1: who is 19 years old and he's uh, in the university. He's taking business development and technology management. And he's asking me, What is the field that I should invest in? Because this is something that he wants to know, and this artificial intelligence world is constantly changing. And it's very hard to predict what would happen to machine learning and artificial intelligence in up to three years from now. What I'm certain is that all the companies that we are working with and servicing will still require human in the loop is this world is constantly changing and humans will help to make this world work, regardless if artificial intelligence will cut jobs or add jobs. So I would say that our future as a crowdsourcing company is secured.
0: Got it. So in terms of the types of work that they'll do, maybe some of that would change. In rooting for you and your company, I would certainly hope so. And I think, you know, safely from my own perspective, objectively, I don't think we're at a point anytime soon where voice, text, meaning, context is going to be 100% handleable by machines. I really don't think we're anywhere near three years from being there. So I would concur, despite the bias that we would have to have to wish for the success of the firm. In terms of the newer kind of work that you see more demand for, maybe we can talk about there. We don't have to project what's going on into the future. One thing was voice. There's more of that are there other oh, yeah. kinds of new applications that you just think, man, there's going to be a lot more demand for? Clearly, AI is getting more popular, but anything in addition to voice that you see rising in popularity, maybe that's a good way to sum it up.
1: Absolutely. I think that machine vision is the most popular field that is gaining steam, at least in early 2018. We see this direction. We've got a lot of companies that are in need of tagging images, identifying different kinds of objects in these images, marking them with bounding boxes, and providing some categorization to different items that are recognized in the image. So that's a trend that we see from a lot of companies, from e-commerce companies that are using this to uh, recognize stuff that is in the image, to security companies that are using this for. Marking images from drones or unmanned aerial vehicles or other vehicles that are just uh, taking pictures on the streets
0: Whoa, so I imagine there's a lot of applications outside of search relevancy And I know that you guys do a lot of work in just general machine vision Training kind of like you do with search does some of that intersect back with search or is that mostly its own category? In other words, like clearly you guys are doing work with drone folks and satellite folks On some level, are e-commerce companies going to let people snap a photo and have that maybe search and pull up what they're looking for? Do those kind of intersect in the years ahead, in your opinion?
1: Actually, this is very relevant to search precision and visibility of products. Because when we tag items, for instance, an e-commerce companies that have a stock of product photos when we tag them with different categories and we categorize them according to the taxonomy that this company has, all the images would be visible. And when you are using particular keywords, those images will pop up in the search. So I think that these things are totally related to the search relevancy that we are providing. I think that voice search is something that we should definitely expand our work in in 2018 and machine vision as well.
0: Big time. It's interesting for me too, because in the field, you know, we hear all the buzz and all the hubbub and, and all the hype about where vision and voice are headed. But I think what's really interesting in our conversations, even off microphone veto, is that you guys are seeing that demand manifest as a real business need if people who are building this stuff out. So it's cool to see that clearly it's translating its way into applications because people are really training robust systems there. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Vision and Voice do in the years ahead. And that's all we have for questions. So, Vito, hey, thanks so much for being able to share your perspective on AI and industry.
1: No, no worries. Thanks for the opportunity then.
0: and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Figella. This is AI in Industry, and we'll catch you next week.